Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bailey is tracked down for a short loss. Shamarco Thomas. It's like a missile. It's a heat-seeking missile to the football. Charles finding someone, directing his body, and trying to run through that person. An explosive safety. For some programs, maybe doesn't mean as much. For this Syracuse program, it means a lot. What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from Syracuse on Sports Illustrated with episode two of the Believe on Syracuse podcast with my co-host, Marco Thomas. Marco, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing fantastic, man. Welcome to be on the show right now. Excited just finished working out. The man, the myth, the legend, Shamarco Thomas, had a bunch of great years at Syracuse. Two bowl wins, both in the pinstripe bowl, and we might rely on some of his experience in those games in this episode. But for those who missed episode one, we did a full breakdown of Syracuse's season opening win, 29-9 over Ohio. Broke, broke it down from all angles, the performance of the offense, improvement of the offensive line, Tommy DeVito, Deuce Chestnut's breakout game, Sean Tucker running all over the Bobcats. Full breakdown, so make sure you go check that out. But looking ahead to this week two game against Rutgers, we know Syracuse-Rutgers was an old Big East rivalry. Shamarco, you participated in that rivalry during your career at Syracuse. They're both in the North, Northeast. They recruit a lot of the same players. This is Syracuse's home opener. The first game in front of Syracuse fans in almost two years because they weren't allowed in the dome last year due to COVID. That's the first thing I wanted to to talk about. And especially using your experience playing in front of the Syracuse fans and with loud environments, the impact that fans can have. So Syracuse gets those fans back this week, whether it's 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 fans in the dome, the ones that are there when they're loud because of the, Uh, the way that that building is and the way that the sound echoes off of the roof, 20,000 fans can feel like 50 or 60 in other venues. What was your experience been like playing in the dome with the crowd, with how loud it gets in there and how much that helps you and and your teammates perform at a high level? Man, it's amazing. You know, third down keys rattling and stuff, man, it's uh, also like a, a defense momentum thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Offense, you know, the crowd is quiet, you know, and that's they, they're loud for the uh, opponents. But for a defensive player like me, you know, I love the fans cheering and going crazy on third down. You know what I mean? Getting the offense, the opponent rattled. So I feel like that's going to be a big impact, especially off of coming off a road win and coming back home and wanting to get a big win against Rutgers. So I feel like it's going to help them at home with the crowd. And I hope they bring 40,000 40, out, man. Forget that 20,000. Bring 40,000 out. <laughs> And, and your point about the, the, the sound and how it helps the defense is how it can also hurt the offense in terms of their communication. And as much as this is the first time that Syracuse is playing in front of their own fans in more than a year, Rutgers played in front of its fans last week. But now this week, they're going to be on the road in a hostile environment for the first time. Um, and that means... How, how, what is their communication like, right? Because we know they've got a lot of moving parts and some different players in different positions than even last year. They're still in year two under Greg Schiano and that rebuild. So what is that communication like? From your experience, when, when you're watching other teams try to communicate in the dome when it's loud, how difficult is it for them to try to combat that noise and still uh, you know, make sure that they're on the same page? It's definitely difficult, especially, you know, uh, 
them not having a crowd in two years, you know, and they come into a hostile environment. Now they're going to do hand signals, you know, time and get thrown off. You know what I'm saying? You get the clock running out. And I don't know what year is the quarterback. Is he a young or older cat? You know, that's a big impact on that from the crowd noise, him looking at the clock, him reading his coaching and getting the signals in and seeing what defense are in, what defense we are in. I said we, like I'm at Syracuse right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's but awesome. basically what the defense is in. So like I said, I don't know what year the quarterback is. It's a fluster for the quarterback. You know, he's the quarter, he's the leader of the whole offense. The lineman's got a, a signal which way they blocking and the receivers, because they do a lot of pass game. I was, I was watching the last game. They like, they like their passing threat screens, throwing the ball. So the quarterback got to be on key with the receivers, adjusting their routes and stuff to the defense. It's going to be a crazy game for them, man. So I know they had a lot of crowd noise in practice to help them out, get ready for the game. There's not a single Syracuse fan listening right now that's going to get upset with you for saying we. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> now, if I did it, they might get upset. But you, I think, I think you've earned that right with the four years you put into university. So no worries on that. Uh, their, their Rutgers quarterback, his name is Noah Vedrill. He is from um, Nebraska originally. He spent his first season at Central Florida and then transferred into Nebraska when Scott Frost went there and spent two years there, didn't play a ton, um, was the primary starter last year for Rutgers, threw for 1,253 yards, nine touchdowns, eight interceptions last season, completing just over 61% of his passes. In the first game this year against Temple, he was 15 for 27, 138 yards, uh, one touchdown, no interception. So last year, his touchdown interception ratio wasn't great. It was essentially one-to-one, which is not what you want mm-hmm. from the quarterback position. But he did not turn it over for Rutgers in their opener. But Syracuse's defense obviously is a step up from what Temple's was. And as we mentioned, he's got that, that home crowd that he's got to contend with now. So can Syracuse turn that into a couple mistakes? We'll get over – we'll get – a little bit more into turnovers later in the show. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, Shamarco, I know what it's, what it's like for me when I've sat, whether it's in the stands as a fan or whether it's in the press box, and when the dome is at its, its best, when you've got 30,000, 40,000 people there going crazy and all you know yelling at the top of their lungs, you can't hear the person next to you, what they're saying. It, it gets that loud. It echoes. It's a, a, a really a high level sound chamber. Uh, what, what is it like as a player playing in an atmosphere like that? When you hear the crowd going that crazy, when the decibel levels get that high, um, you know, what, what's that like from a player's perspective? There's a momentum change. Like I said, you at home, you know, the crowd is roaring for you, especially when you're on defense and uh but also, it's it's kind of a little bit of distraction, you know. In practice, you gotta learn hand signals because you know what the pro- the crowd's gonna be. But it's excitement, man. You you feel like you gotta get the job done for the crowd, you know. Like I said, the keys ringing, the crowd's yelling, and it's adrenaline rush. Like for me, instant like me against Rutgers a couple years ago, I got a big sack on third down, man, and the crowd was roaring, you know. And that was just adrenaline rush to do it again, do it again, do it again. So I know the Syracuse defense gonna go out there and go crazy. Syracuse gets a bunch of sacks on third down against Rutgers this year. Very <laughs> beneficial to them. For oh, sure. yeah, definitely. Um, so that's the next challenge with the atmosphere and the adrenaline and all of that is channeling that so that it doesn't make you over aggressive and miss an assignment. So how do you, that's kind of always been the, the intriguing thing for me. I know, you know, when I'm at a sporting event, 
just sitting in the stands, regardless of what it is, you start to get the goosebumps when the game's about to come on. Can't imagine what it's like as, as a player when that happens, but you know, when I'm in a fan, I can get overhyped. It doesn't matter. You as a player, you have to channel that and still be disciplined and make sure that you're following whatever your assignments yeah. assignment is on a particular play in a particular sequence so that you're not putting your teammates in a bad position so that it doesn't lead to a big play from, from the other team. Yeah. How do you channel, channel that and make sure that you're still being disciplined, that you're still following what it is you're supposed to be doing on particular plays and sequences? Uh, practice. You know, I know coaches – Coach is going to get them ready with the crowd noise in practice. He probably got the little roaring speakers outside, getting them adjusted because I feel like practice made perfect. You know, uh, my coaches, when I was at Syracuse, they always tell me, see small, see big, see big, see little. You know what I'm saying? So that's the mentality. Like on third down, you got to stay focused, stay keen in on your technique. D-line, we got to watch the ball. You know, little things, man. And I feel like when you practice that, it becomes a muscle memory. So I feel like when they get out there, yeah, you're excited. Yeah, you juiced up. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're trying to win, you know, and to win is don't beat yourself and play with technique. Absolutely. Um, Syracuse did a pretty good job of that in week one, even though the crowd wasn't on their side. But there was a crowd there and, and there was the opportunity for them to be undisciplined in some respects. And they only committed four penalties. Most of those were early in the game. They did not turn the ball over. So that speaks to, um, I think, some confidence going into this game that, um, Syracuse should be able to settle down and, and channel that adrenaline because we know it's going to be there. And I think we'll be able to tell early on what the impact of that is going to be because if Syracuse can jump out to an early lead, then I think that puts a lot of pressure on Rutgers. And that's where when you're a road team, things can sort of snowball out of control a little bit. Um, if if the, the home team in front of a, a raucous crowd can use that to their advantage, especially if Syracuse can get a turnover early, you know, get a couple of scores on the board, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, be- before we get too much further into Rutgers as a team, there, there's another aspect of this game um, that I wanted to get into, and that's playing against a team from your hometown or your home state. Uh, we know Tommy DeVito, Syracuse's starting quarterback, is from New Jersey. Deuce Chestnut, who we talked about in episode one as having a big time breakout performance, was named co-ACC Rookie of the Week this week, by the way. Um, He should have been it by himself, but that's a whole (laughs) separate. But the New Jersey aspect, right? So those are just a couple of guys, and Syracuse has other guys on the roster from New Jersey as well. And Rutgers recruited Deuce Chestnut pretty hard. He almost committed there at one point, but playing against a team from your home state. I mean, that you've got just an added layer of emotion there, it, it seems like, because not only is are you in front of your home crowd for the first time in, in almost two years, not only is it the home opener, not only is it your first power five opponent of the season, but it's also the team that was in your backyard that when you were growing up, you probably envisioned yourself playing for. Uh, what, what added level, you know, does that bring to a game and, and how do you handle that from you know, a preparation standpoint? Uh, honestly, you got to stay focused. I know he, they all probably talking about I got to put on for my state, you know. They probably played against some of them guys from Rutgers in high school, you know. They probably familiar with all them guys. They probably played backyard football. But honestly, it's the hone in, play your technique, and ultimately get the win for the team, you know. You're going to put on when you do the team things, you know. And uh, don't let don't let that factor beat y'all, you know what I'm saying? Get into that mentality of I got to put on by myself for this. It's, 
you got to realize it's the team effort. And when you do your job, you're going to make plays. He's a great athlete. I've been watching more film on him just because of the game he had last uh, last week. And I know he's going to go out there and ball. DeVito, he's a leader. He's going to go out there and ball. He's going to have his team ready. So I feel like that's a big factor, you know what I'm saying? Because like me, if we would have played somebody from Virginia, I'd have been ready to put on for my state. But at the end of the day, I know I'm trying to win for my team. Syracuse beat Virginia Tech uh, in the first year of the Dino Babers era. <laughs> and a little extra feather in your cap oh, yeah. at that point. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, uh, trying to channel that that whole um, emotional aspect is is certainly going to be an interesting part of this game, especially with Tommy DeVito. Because I think he's going to be extra excited. I know he's very proud of his New Jersey heritage, and and so playing against the uh, the only Power Five school in that state, it's going to be interesting to see how he responds to that for sure. Now getting into Rutgers specifically, as we mentioned, they beat Temple 61 to 14 last week. That's a lot of points. So when you're a defensive player, you're looking at a team coming into your building and you see last week, they just put up 61 points, regardless of the context of how that 61 points came about that has to catch your attention, right? That has to sort of pique your interest, make you raise an eyebrow a little bit and say, well, wait a minute, 61 points, is a lot of points. What are we getting ourselves into here? <laughs> um, how does that affect your preparation or, or affect how focused you are on, on trying to, to study film and figure out ways to stop that team? Uh, we definitely locked in, you know, it don't matter who they play, it's still an opponent. You know, they play Temple, but shoot, Temple practice, they work hard, they study film and and they scheme to get some and put up them many points. So definitely you got going this week with a different mentality. You know, like I said, you got Chestnut, you know, he's going to get opportunities. I feel like that's my mindset. If you see a team put up a lot of points, that means DBs and linebackers get a lot of opportunities. D-line get a lot of opportunities to get sacks. And we're allowed to get picks and turnovers and stuff. So you go on that mindset, the studying the receiver, studying the quarterback, seeing their philosophy, because I, me personally as a player, it's a routine. No, Temple didn't take them out their routine. You know what I'm saying? I feel like them coming to the Syracuse, come, Syracuse home and the crowd's going to be loud. It's not going to be the same momentum, man. It's not. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be a loud noise. The receivers going to be off. And that's what Syracuse defense got to do. Keep them off their momentum, keep them off their routine, and keep them off their script. And it's funny because a lot of people see those 61 points and think, wow, Rutgers had a tremendous offensive game. Uh, Syracuse actually had more total yards last week than Rutgers did. Rutgers only had 365 total yards. So how did they get to 61 points? They forced five turnovers. And of those five turnovers, three different occasions, at least three, they got the ball inside Temple's 30-yard line. So in prime scoring position and converted each of those into touchdowns. So when you can do that, that that's how you get to 61 points. And then they had a pick six on top of that. So uh, the 61 points was not because Rutgers was putting up 550, 600 yards of total offense or running the ball for 350 yards or throwing it for 300 plus yards. You know, they only threw it for 145. They only completed about half of their passes only averaged about five yards per completion. So that just kind of tells you that this was as much about the uh, mistakes that Temple made, and sure, some of those were forced by Rutgers, of course, as it was, you know, Rutgers having this huge offensive explosion. And you know, a team is not going to average 61 points a game, uh, you know, for an entire season. Okay. So this seems like a prime week where they're playing against the Syracuse team that 
took care of the, of the football in week one. If they can take care of the football in week two, it seems like a week where Rutgers offense, you know, um, has the potential to stall a little bit, have some three and outs and, and allow Syracuse's defense to gain some momentum. And Shamarco, that's, that, that's kind of where I wanted to lean on you when you're in a game, the emotional impact of a turnover, how that can completely change momentum one way or the other uh, from a, when you're on the defensive side of the ball and your team is able to force that turnover, get it back to your offense, as Rutgers did five times in the season opener. What is the impact of that in, in terms of the entire mood of the team and the complete momentum shift of the game? More opportunity, more points. We always say that before you step on the field. We used to tell NASA all the time, man, we're going to get you the ball back for more opportunities. And that's the key, man. No matter no matter what we got to do, we got to keep them out of the end zone. We're trying to get the ball back. Fumble calls, three and out, anything. Because if it's in the quarterback's hands and the receiver's hands or running back's hands, more opportunities to get those points on the board. So I feel like, honestly, that like you just said earlier, knowing now that their defense was getting all them turnovers and their offense wasn't putting on them boards, now they got to put in the work this week. They're going against a complete whole total defense and an offense that can really run the ball and they ain't see the pass game yet, so they're going to be surprised. They're not seeing that on film yet. So, they don't, you know what I'm saying? That's that's the scary part about football, man. You know, yeah, they ran RPO this week, but what about the passing game? We don't know the tricks is up the sleeves, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like... Temple got their back against the wall a little bit, you know what I'm saying? Unless they're looking at old film, and I feel like I think the coaches changed the whole system for them. That's an excellent point that you brought up um, regarding the, the passing game because it felt like after Syracuse established the run early in that game against Ohio, the coaching staff kind of went, you know what, we know that we can run against these guys anytime we want. We're not showing anything. We don't need to show anything the rest of this game. And they didn't. They didn't really do anything. Uh, there was very little pushing the ball down the field, which we know is part of the offense. We know they like running those wide receiver screens, especially to Taj Harris. And they really only did that once or twice in this game. They didn't uh, really push the ball to the slot all that much. Uh, they didn't throw the ball downfield, as I mentioned, other than really one one opportunity down to uh, to Taj Harris that, that almost went for a score. It was really a ground and pound offense, which is not the identity of what they have been under Dino Baber. So the fact that they haven't showed anything, I think puts a ton of pressure on Rutgers in terms of its preparation this week. Yes, they can look at, at film from the last couple of years, but if you do that, you're looking at a team with an offensive line that wasn't very competent versus this year, uh, we think from what we saw in week one that, that they're significantly improved in, in both pass protection and on the ground. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see what Greg Schiano, who's known as a defensive coach, does in terms of his preparation um, in this game because there is a little bit of an unknown in terms of what Syracuse can be as a passing offense. So, uh, Shamarco, from your perspective, when you have a team that hasn't shown much on film this year, you know, how does that impact your preparation? How does that, uh, you know, make it more challenging for you to try to uh, make sure that that you're ready for whatever they throw at you? It's definitely hard because, like I said, it's only been one game. But uh, me personally, and the coaches I've been around, you go to last year's film, but you don't know if they're calling them plays. But that's what's the hard part about it. You just go out there and play your technique. I, I feel like coaches saying we got to work on this RPO, 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 RPO. RPO. But alert for the play action, all this stuff. And that's they're gonna put in little certain plays that they 
you know, coaches always know little little things that they used to because all offensive coordinators have the same type of offensive strategies. But basically, it's in there, they're going to be in surprise. So basically, probably, Rutgers is probably just playing technique. Read your keys, like I said. See small, see big, you know what I'm saying? And you see big, it's going to be touched down. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's the mentality. Go in there. You got to start the RPO. I know he's telling them that all week, start the RPO, man. Do you see they're great at that? But, man, you always got to be alert for the pass because they can come with a whole game, a different game plan. There's no question. And, you know, Rutgers didn't show a ton either. So I think they're kind of going to be in the same boat in terms of, you know, um, what they've shown to Syracuse. Uh, the fact that they were able to force those turnovers, that they were able to get up uh, on Temple early. You know, they were up 26 to 7 at the half, and the game was pretty much in control at that point. They didn't have to show a ton. So they, they may have shown, you know, maybe a little bit more than what Syracuse did, but it's not significant amount. And so I think because of that, you're going to have, um, you're going to have a, a situation where both teams are, are sort of uh, guessing a little bit in terms of, of what their, their preparation is. So it's going to be a real interesting chess match uh, from a coaching perspective there. Uh, a couple of players on Rutgers, on Rutgers offense, especially that I wanted to get into, uh, Bo Melton, their wide receiver, is just uh, a flat-out stud as a wide receiver. Uh, he can he can run. He can take a short pass and turn it into a long a long gain. He can go over the top on a defense. Um, he's put he's put himself in position to be a potential you know first, second, or third round NFL draft pick. Um, when you're when you're covering a, a dynamic wide receiver like that what's the game plan in terms of trying to to limit his ability to get open, trying to keep him in front of you so he doesn't make the big play, especially when Rutgers has um, Aaron Cruikshank, who's another wide receiver who has a ton of speed. He's also going to be a, a returner for them. Um, that, that is, you know, uh, every time he touches the ball is a home run threat. Um, how do you make sure that you keep those guys in front of you and, and prevent them from making a game-changing play? Uh, game plan, schemes and defense, you know, uh, there's so many schemes, cover two, you know what I'm saying? Uh, cover, uh, we call it 55, you know what I'm saying? Like chestnut on, on the top of them, jamming them up, putting your hands on, distracting them, because I feel like all receivers and quarterbacks got to be on the same time. So if you distract them off their timing, man, it's going to be hard to get open. And I feel like me from the last game, them DBs are athletic enough to match up and go one-on-ones or cover twos or five-man with them boys. So that's all it is, man. You can't think of can't think of the player. You got to think of just it's a jersey number. That's my mentality. So it's hard for me to tell you about, you know what I'm saying, a good receiver is because I never I respect the receiver, but any day you still got to come out there and put in the work. Absolutely. There wasn't a receiver that lined up against Syracuse that um, Shamarco thought was going to beat them and <laughs> play. I know that for sure. Uh, defensively, we know that Greg Schiano has a reputation of um, putting some quality defensive backs, um, you know, at, at the college level, and then even sending those to the professional level. We know Bill Belichick seemed to draft a Rutgers defensive back on a regular basis when Greg Schiano uh, was at Rutgers the first time around. But it's not the defensive backs that's making the big name for himself on the Rutgers defense. It's um, linebacker. Olakunle Fadakasi, I think I pronounced that correctly, um, who, who led the Big Ten in tackles last season. He started out the season opener with a huge game, seven tackles, three sacks, four tackles for loss. Oh, yeah, he really did. put Temple in a, a, 
in poor field position, which contributed to those, those turnovers. And this is, Shamarco, where I think Syracuse's run game can try to negate some of his playmaking ability because if you can put the ball into second and manageable and third and short, now you don't have to worry about he knows it's a third and eight and you have to pass the ball and he can come flying off the edge on a blitz or, um, you know, it, it sort of tells the, the opponent what you're going to be doing. If you're in a third and two, you have the whole playbook available to you. Exactly. That takes a little bit of his advantage away from him. And the RPO going to slow him down too, man. Reading it, it always slows your steps down. So it, it's going to be a little different game for him. Man. I feel like they got the RPO down pat. And once they get to the play action pass and stuff, it's going to have him on his toes. Absolutely. That's, that's an excellent point, especially if you can get him kind of caught in between, where is he going to go? Is he going to go after Sean Tucker and, and let, um, let Tommy DeVito get around the edge or is he going to go after DeVito and give uh, Sean Tucker a, a free hole to the second level, an interesting dynamic to this game to keep an eye on. Um, but from a defensive perspective, again, Rutgers forced five turnovers. Um, three of those were fumbles, two interceptions, one of those interceptions was returned for a touchdown. Uh, you know, your, your final thoughts going into this game, Shamarco, for me, I think turnovers are such a huge part of this game because of what we saw those five turnovers do for Rutgers offense in week one. And I feel like while Rutgers certainly has some playmakers on the offensive side of the ball, it is not going to be one of the better offenses that Syracuse sees throughout this season. And because of that, taking care of the football it is going to be such a huge factor in this game. If Syracuse takes care of the football and doesn't turn it over, I feel like they've got a really good shot to pull this one out. I feel the same way, man. It's going to be an ultimate defensive game on both sides, man. And our offense got to hold on to the ball. The video need to do the things you need to do, run the ball, pass when you pass, get the completions, get the touchdowns when they can, because obviously workers can make turnover plays. Like, it's, it's, it's already stats. You know what I'm saying? You're saying sacks pick sixes and stuff. You can't make them mistakes because you might not get that opportunity again. And you might put them in situations to score because like you said, they capitalized on every time they uh, turn over the ball. So basically, man, you said it right. Turnovers is key for our defense and no turnovers for our offense, man. I think we'll win a game silly. And what's interesting too is, as we mentioned how vanilla Syracuse was offensively in the last game, they were the same way defensively, you know, uh, they didn't generate a huge pass rush, but they also did not do anything exotic in terms of stunts on the defensive line, in terms of sending a corner on a blitz once in a while, bringing safety up into the box, sending a linebacker off the edge to bring an extra rusher. Syracuse didn't do any of those things against Ohio. I think you're going to see them do some of those things this week against Rutgers. Definitely. That'll do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much to Shamarco Thomas again for co-hosting with me and for Kyle behind the scenes producing this for us. Uh, for Shamarco and Kyle, I'm Mike McAllister with Syracuse on Sports Illustrated. This has been episode two of the Believe on Syracuse podcast. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.